0: Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen as
1: we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends.
0: Tommy Bahami.
1: Dave, man, I feel like we've been on this line every week for the last like seven or eight weeks. We got so many good... Good, awesome, association, strong podcast coming out of the works, and I'm excited yeah. to be here today with someone that's the first time I've ever met, and I, I know a fair amount of people. But this, I'm I'm always excited to hear new stories, you, and new engagement strategies.
0: You are wicked popular, as we say here in Boston. Wicked, wicked popular. So, so it, we've been on the phone now for and on Zoom here for 13 minutes, and we've been talking and talking and talking about something really, really interesting. So I thought maybe we could start with that, but first. And and by the way, that is the relationship between suppliers and association execs, and and we got pretty deep in the strengths of both and so on. So anyway, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. I think it's extremely relevant given my role as a supplier and Tom's role as an association exec and our friendship, right? We can get along. We get along quite well, Tom, especially after a drink or two.
1: Dave has clacked a beer with me many times and said, Tom, you're wrong. Click. (laughs)
0: all right so we've got carrie mcgovern here with us and carrie is from the association of corporate counsel she's a senior director of membership but carrie comes from the american society of interior designers she worked for american chiropractor chiropractic association um i'm sorry so with the interior designers she was with membership but then you go back to american chiropractic association she was in marketing and member services. Right, Carrie? Right. I was like, so you were you were a little go on the totem pole, as we might say. And then before that, you were a Society of Research Administrators International. Oh my gosh. Prior to that, American Council of Engineering Companies. So you're a pretty seasoned DC Association exec, you might say.
2: One might say that. Oh. <laughs> My dad would say I change jobs too much. Oh,
0: I, have a
1: huge, I have a huge question though hearing all that. And it goes back to the interior design. So my wife has an interior design. She works for us, she has an interior design background, got a certificate uh, for that. But but when you walk into someone's house or their building, do you size them up by how it's decorated?
2: Well, here's the difference between interior designers and interior decorators. So interior designers are more looking towards uh, function and a decorator is going to be looking towards, you know, different kinds of pillows and things like that. Uh, What I found was interesting working for the Interior Design Association is you really don't know a lot about materiality until you start learning about it. Right. So you might be buying a table from Ikea. But what is that table made of is right. Uh, preserved with formaldehyde that might be off-gassing causing your young child to have an allergic reaction to it. These are the things that I learned working for them because when I took the job I was like oh this is going to be awesome I'm just going to look at amazing Italian stoves all day or something like that but it's really there's a lot of science that goes into it and how they play into uh, the entire uh, built space universe with, with architects with HVAC professionals so it was it was a really, really cool place to work. Really, really interesting, smart people
0: Carrie, the National Kitchen and Bath Association. I used to do some work with yeah. them and they would uh, that that was the bulk of what they did was focused on function in mm-hmm. kitchen and baths. And so they would have like experts come in and talk about things like, you know, you don't put a cabinet next to a dishwasher where the doors are going to collide you want to be able to open the dishwasher also you want the dishwasher reachables to the to where the dishes are going right so you can put functionality Ease of functionality yeah so I uh, carrie uh we are gonna focus oh by the way so you mentioned your dad would say you jump around it it looks like um, you know, you got a couple jobs or you're there a couple years, but you've been with the Association of Corporate Counsel for over four years now. So yeah, I
2: keep joking to my boss is that she keeps me interested. I'm not bored yet.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're, so it seems as though you're doing well there. That's awesome. Uh, can you tell us? And by the way, the conversation I, I want to get back into that. So so we'll see if the if we if the feng shui, so to say, takes us that direction. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Association of Corporate Counsel and and what you do in membership for them?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to. So the Association of Corporate Counsel, or ACC, is the professional home for in-house counsel. So these are people who are working in a legal capacity for companies as opposed to working for the government or for a law firm. Um, These are general counsels, chief legal officers, including their entire legal department. Um, and I run the membership operations staff over here, which means ultimately I'm responsible for all the recruitment and retention activities uh, in the organization.
0: So this is a professional association, meaning you're focused on the council. It's not like you're, your members aren't the association itself.
2: Correct. I would describe our membership structure as hybrid because we do offer what we call corporate memberships, but it's, we're really serving the individuals under those corporates, not the actual, um, corporations.
0: Yeah. And and I'm looking at your tech stack here. It looks like you're on NetForum Enterprise, um, real magnet and active campaign. Is that right? Yeah. Why is, why do you have two email broadcast systems?
2: Well, as sort of we were talking about earlier about innovation, is uh, wh- one of the things that's cultural in ACC is that we do like to run little experiments, right? And so, Active Campaign ties into uh, Up Content, it ties in directly to Rasa.io that we're
0: oh, a yeah, client yeah.
2: of. And we needed a a tool that we could quickly use for acquisition work uh, and active campaigns sort of fit into that little niche area that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're just we're running sort of like a two-year experiment on active campaign to see if uh, member or pros- prospects that we run through the funnel in that system uh, convert at a higher rate than through our traditional channels
0: traditional channels being like a real magnet is through that- a real magnet
2: through our LinkedIn you know all the all the marketing techniques we use for prospecting and conversion we're trying to see if we're tying all of our content that is really specifically there for prospecting into one system uh, are we seeing better results there And so far we are but we still want to collect a little bit more data before we make a bigger investment in um, in integrations.
1: I see. So, Dave, I have a really big question. I like to start out when we when we look at en- the whole engagement side of things is, I mean, corporate counsel. I mean, that's in the legal field, and there's, I mean, you got the American Bar Association, you got every trial attorney. How does how what kind how does an in-house counsel demand and need differ from just the typical attorney that would join the bar? And what kind of value propositions are are y'all making to them that draws them into specifically you?
2: I think there's a couple of things. One is that the job of an in-house counsel is unique in the in the legal field, uh, especially a, a majority of our membership is actually comprised of what we call solo in-house counsel. So the, the companies that just have one general counsel yeah. that's doing everything. So you don't have the luxury of specializing, right? You can't be like, I do M&A, I do real estate. You have to know a little bit about everything. Your HR department could be coming to you saying, hey, we have policies and procedures around uh, employee termination. Like you need to write it, you're our lawyer. And so ACC provides sort of wraparound resources to help these people thrive in these positions. Additionally, our community is amazing. Um, they are there to lift each other up every step of the way. We don't want to see anyone fail. And so we have this really vibrant network where people are offering advice, um, not only on legal matters, but on personnel matters on law firms that they've worked with, that uh, they've had good experiences with on pieces of technology they might be investing in on whether it's time to grow your legal department to another lawyer or not. And in comparison we get this a lot like what is the difference it's our tagline is for in-house counsel by in-house council and we mean that all of our resources come from our members from real-life practice experience and you really can't manufacture that anywhere else
0: are you using uh, one of the community platforms
2: yeah we're on higher logic we're in the uh, we're about six weeks away from our
0: thrive upgrade mm-hmm. and and I uh... Where are you? Are you seeing a lot of how? How big is your membership?
2: We're forty five thousand members globally, about thirty thousand in North America, five in APAC, and then uh, Europe, Canada.
0: And so, are you finding a lot of that sharing happens more in person at events, or are you finding it actually happens more in the community? The communities
2: are extremely active, yeah. which is wonderful. And part of our membership philosophy is you don't really have the luxury of having a practice that has geographical borders anymore. Um, there's, If you're going to scale your business, and this is part of the job of an in-house counsel, is you have a seat at the table, right? You're, you're not the company's lawyer. You are part of helping the company grow in a safe way, right? So a lot of what they do is like risk management, but how can you help the company grow? Uh, If you're not looking cross border to do that in in this world, then you're probably not doing your job right. So having this global community here to feed in ideas, suggestions, advice from all over the world, I think is absolutely um, necessary for our members.
0: So things seem to be going really well because ultimately that's what you want as a staff member of an association like the association really wants to create a thriving environment where members are learning from members like seems to be working well what are you what are you focused on what's your job like what are you what do you really what do you what do what, what is it you do here Bob
2: yeah well, a little office even, space uh, reference for That's like a hilarious question for anyone that works in membership because I do everything, right? I I like to say I'm professionally nosy. So uh, I'm often just walking around the office, popping up, what's coming out of research today? Or or, what's on the calendar? What's coming up? What are are we developing in legal resources, right? Because we wanna create a sort of a streamlined narrative both on the recruitment side and on the engagement side. So we wanna make sure that when we're um, pushing content, it's it's relevant and timely as opposed to just whatever is on everyone's personal agendas. So uh, I get to be part IT manager, part marketing manager, part bill collector, part fundraiser. And that's what I mean. I, I continue to be interested in this job because it continues to be interesting.
1: It sounds like you're just manipulating
0: everybody to conquer your kingdom.
2: I would never say that out loud. <laughs>
0: So what is, what is the value proposition? I mean, I, I I think your job, I mean, I'm not debating this with you. I, I Everything you said makes a lot of sense to me. I'm putting it in different words. So I think your job is to um, help the members find value in their membership so that they come back and renew again.
2: Correct.
0: So... How are you doing that? How are you, what is the value proposition, generally speaking? And, and how are you helping members find their value proposition, at, you know, all the way down at the individual level?
2: So our, our value proposition is community resources, education. Hmm. We are the source for that, for in-house counsel. You're not going to find content that is better tailored to your needs than at ACC if you're working in an in-house role. Now, how we tie all those pieces together is that's like the secret sauce, right? Um, So we do do uh, persona development, right? We wanna know who's new to an in-house role. They're gonna have a very specific set of events, education, a community that they're gonna connect with, who's looking to grow in their career that's mid-career. Uh, They're going to have a different set of needs that we need to address. They're going to want career resources, uh, leadership development programs. And then again, who is at the top of their game? Who are those CLOs of um, big companies, Fortune 500 companies, and how can we leverage them into a more public role have them as speakers so that our community can be learning from them so as we like look at the life cycle of our membership we see where our our education our resources slot in
0: i uh i'm debating whether or not to show something on the screen because i know our 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 listeners are are not going to see it so what i'm going to do is i'm going to describe something because um i i always uh, the concept personas and segments is is awesome, But um, I struggle with it a little bit. And a, and a big part of that is because of my worldview, right? Like I, So I'm coming to this as, as a vendor who has a, um, a this innovative approach to engaging individuals, right? So like that's my mindset. So everything's biased, right? So I'm coming at this from a slightly biased perspective. But I've got this. We do this at conferences sometimes to draw people into a conversation. But if you were to look at a segment or persona, right, and you, you paint this picture of a male in this particular case, and I'm looking at the slide. That's why I'm looking away from the screen here. Born in 1948, raised in the UK, married twice, lives in a castle, is wealthy and famous. Do you know where I'm going with this yet? Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, Tom, you've come on, Tom. You've seen it. Carrie knows where I'm going with this. But you look at like that persona, that segment, you're like, generally speaking, anyone that falls in that category is going to have a lot of the same wants and needs, right? Until you realize that it's King Charles and Ozzy Osbourne, right? Like two totally different people with probably different demands and wants and needs. And yet we're sending them the same stuff. And, And so uh, I'm challenging you a little bit, Carrie, I don't mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that what you're doing is wrong. It sounds like you're doing everything really, really well to have created a thriving community of 45,000 people. But the minute I hear, hear the word segment or persona, I instantly go to that, 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 um, that example that I just I sum
1: it up like it this. Dave doesn't want to talk to 50 people to find out what you want or need. Yeah. Dave wants to talk to you and that's kind of been his passion, which I can, I can definitely,
0: that's my can, bias too. Yeah. My, my vocation, you know, I, so.
1: I, I I get that because we, we, sh- we, sh- we strive to do that as well. We try and get things down more so from, because, you know, you have someone leave a membership and you've been promoting things, given the fact that you've surveyed hundreds or thousands of members to find out. And the thing that he needed, you skip because you didn't somewhere along the line ask him or her, what that value benefit would be for them, what they're looking for.
2: Yeah.
1: And what I love about Dave is Dave Dave has brought um, a strategy to the table on engagement that allows people to think like that before you never could scale because it was too much for you. You got 45,000 members. It was too much for you to talk to 45,000 individuals. So
0: So I I don't, I didn't mean to turn this and make this about, uh, are me, my stuff, our stuff, Carrie, what do you struggle with? Like, what is the, uh, I mean, you, obviously, and I've said this like three or four times now, it sounds like you guys are doing awesome. Is your retention high? Is your, are you growing? Like, what are you struggling with?
2: We have consistently met goals over the fat, over the past four years since I've been here. Uh, we did have a COVID drop off as everyone got did. Yeah, yeah, um, crazy. And have been consistently gaining since then. We grow about one to two percent a year, which I am very comfortable with. Um, our retention continues to go up. People continue to see value in ACC. And to your point about personas, I think that's my job. Is I have to have a structure to operate within or Mm -hmm. it would be absolute chaos.
0: Yeah, Yep.
2: Right. And I get this a lot in my staff too. everyone wants to talk about the edge cases. And I'm like, we need to be in the middle. And we can deal with the edge cases as they come. But that's sort of my job as a leader. And it's my staff's job to challenge that to Mm me.
0: I like that you have to I love the way you said that I couldn't say it exactly way you say it again but th- we have to build a structure and for us to work and i think that's very well said yeah so so um uh y- your your growth you said is one or two percent each year and I think you said you're happy with that because I think a lot of organizations are shrinking um if you were to say to like a certainly like a startup software company like like ours, like would you be happy with one or two percent growth? No, we we would probably shut down. Like we, it'd be very very, we'd be struggling. Um, why do you think that is? Like, there's a lot of associations. Is it because associations are in a mature market? Is that like why are we okay with one or two percent growth?
2: Because you're okay with it. It's uh, attainable and it's sustainable.
0: So it's mature, right? It's a mature market.
2: We, and and again, as an association that does like zero dollar budgeting, we don't have a whole lot of flexibility to set audacious goals and not reach them. Right. It's my job and my fiduciary responsibility to our members to ensure that we're doing what we're saying we're going to do so that we can keep this organization functioning to continue to provide that value.
1: I think that's a good answer, Kerry, because I'm I'm a big believer that you're right. It isn't sustainable. I mean, if if my board came in and said, hey, our our job, our role this next year is to raise membership 10 percent. I'm like, where does it say that in the governing documents? An association's role, in my opinion, especially a nonprofit, is to have enough money come in through whatever resources you bring in, which include dues, meetings, non-dues, revenue, to pay for and fund the things that you need to do to reach their pain points that help them be more successful, plus add a little bit to the reserve so you got rainy day fund. Past that, there's no need for growth. I mean, our our membership line, look, we're only 8% higher than we were 15 years ago, and it looks like this, but our net worth has grown like that because we've had so much value to the process and made such a difference to our members. They're spending more money with us in that process.
0: Wait, did I, did I hear that right? So you said your membership growth has not grown dramatically, but your financial growth or your, I am not sure what the financial metric is, but your, your net, I, I think our, your our, bank our account net, has grown.
1: Our net reserves, which would be your net reserves. worth as a full yep. profit. Yep. We, our membership is eight and a half percent higher than it was in 20, 2006. Your cash net, balance. Yep. But our net reserves are over 2,600% larger than they were which means, yeah. on average,
0: every organization with you is spending more. Yes, for sure. Uh, interesting, yeah.
1: But, but, but a guy named Dean West from Association Laboratories said at an ASA meeting one time, he stood up and he said, as we were talking about driving innovation and value and, and engagement, he said, he said, y'all need to hear me out. I talked to thousands of associations throughout a year, and they're spending $2,500 to $5,000 with outside consultants to do work that you could be doing for them but you're not listening to them where their pain points are. And that's why they're going outside your association. And I've always asked myself the question, what money, and this means about knowing your businesses better than they know themselves, what money, like you, carry? what money is a corporate counsel person spending outside the association? They might spend inside if we offered value benefit and hit a pain point hard enough. And that's kind of where I that's where I live my engagement journey right there. Because that's where the biggest value resides is when you hit that pain point and they they already have the money to spend. And they just need to be told, told how to spend it with you.
2: We always have to revisit why we exist, right? right? We don't exist to make money. We don't exist to pay my salary. I do enjoy that part. Uh, <laughs> we exist to provide a service to a population of people that identified a need.
1: Right.
0: The same is true for for-profit. And I think a lot of people in, in, in the nonprofit world don't understand that. Uh, we exist for the same reason you exist and it's not to make money we exist to create value and when i say we i'm talking about uh, vendors in general so if we're not creating value and and in fact that's what drives us is to create value now the metric the key metric that identifies whether or not we're achieving that is revenue right like if if you're making money if you no, let me rephrase that if you're driving revenue you're creating value if you're making money you're doing it efficiently now that's a little bit different than the than the nonprofit space, but you guys are in the world to create value for your members, just like we're in the world and the vendor side to create value for our clients. That's all we're doing. It's the same business. The difference is associations aren't necessarily as focused on the efficiency of execution. Is that fair to say?
2: I don't think that's fair to say. I think. Efficiency has a different definition in associations. Uh, I think we want to be efficient, but as we were talking about before, structurally, governance-wise, there's a lot more that needs to happen before decisions are made. So I don't think it's a desire to be inefficient or to slow things down, (sighs) to drag our feet, right? Uh, But the idea of pivoting in an association takes a little bit more planning, then I think so of why is that?
0: I, I think you understand this, and I don't really explain. It. So, and and by the way, like I have a little bit of an ego about understanding association space. Like I feel like I understand it really well. But this I don't. T- so, explain the whole. Like why? Why does it? Uh, why, generally speaking, are associations less agile than a business?
2: I think it's that governance structure. And I think it's purposeful, right? I don't want huge major changes to my association all at once, right? Uh, we need to maintain a certain level of experience, especially if people are already finding value in the association and then finding the the little places to experiment. The place. But it's also,
1: when you say, curious, it's also, we're nonprofits, which is a different lens to look through. Dave, you would never be satisfied with- doing a zero-based budget in 2024 for your company. But associations do that every day. They take- what, all I'm sorry, the- what
0: is a zero-based budget anyway?
1: We're, we're, we're budgeting $2.5 million of the budget to come in in revenue and we're going to spend it all serving the members. We're going to- we, So we're and- not here to
2: like make money or lose money. We're here to like break even at the end of the year.
1: But see, the other thing you got to think of, Dave, and I was talking about this in 2009 when I started this whole engagement thing from my perspective, is it's a fine balance of you got to have- enough people to recruit members and sell and you got to have now once you sell them you got to have enough mem- staff to be able to do this ritz-carlton level service that makes them want to retain and stay all the time and it's a bounce for most associations especially small ones because they don't have enough people to do both you got someone that's really great at recruiting members and they have a 68 percent retention rate because they don't have enough back-end support to do all the things they promised them on the front end, but yet you got co association like ours. We don't recruit a whole lot of new. We get in a half a dozen or a dozen a year, but our retention rate is ninety eight percent since two thousand and ten, because we spend so much time handholding and giving awesome, members really, really good service. You know, because they they know they can count on that. It's a personal touch, and and my thing is most associations, from a business perspective, don't have enough people resources to do both. And I would, I'll take the smaller growth with very high retention all day before I, before I have a board tell me, get your goal, Tom, to grow the association ten percent this year. I'm like, why?
0: It's just going to put money in the bank. We got
1: plenty you of make, money.
2: You make more money on retention anyway.
0: Yes, that that, yeah. that, well, that growth requires retention. It's very very difficult to grow. And the same is true with a with like a like a software company like ours. Like if we have the high churn which is directly correlated to our retention right it's it's a churn is attrition if we're losing clients at the same rate that we're gaining clients it's zero growth so and in fact there's there's an interesting metric tom this is very related to what you were talking about getting more money from your existing membership base there's a term called net revenue retention which refers to uh your Uh, Let me see if I got this right. So basically your your growth in revenue minus your churn. Plus your additional upselling to existing clients, right? So so Carrie, if you were a client of ours, if ACC was a client of ours and you were just buying the regular prop fuel stuff. And then this year we sold you managed services or or SMS. That's your we're getting more money out of ACC but we might lose a client somewhere. Anyway, it's the balance is the net revenue retention. Tom, your net revenue retention is well over a hundred, which is awesome. Um, anyway, just, I, I just went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So I I love this stuff like, and and Carrie, this is the origins for anyone listening to our listener out there, Tom, this is the origin of this podcast is Tom and me sitting with a beer somewhere on a beach talking about this kind of stuff and in uh, Carrie, um, I love your perspective on this. So uh, thanks for entertaining me with this dialogue here. T- can we just go back? Like, I wanna talk more about that agility thing. How does, and, and for, forgive me if I'm pushing too hard, but I don't, still don't really get it. What What is governance and why does governance make an association less agile?
2: So in a traditional sense, it does, right? So think about a traditional association committee structure, right? You might have a membership committee that their job is to focus on membership within the association. And you would say in the for-profit world, uh, that's an inefficiency. Just get rid of that membership committee. But when you do that, you're sort of losing your lifeline to your members, right? You're sort of losing that perspective, their buy-in, their value prop to us, and I think there's that trade-off a little bit.
0: For sure, I, I don't. I don't agree on. that we would call that inefficient because I think you need to have ears on the ground. Like you totally need to know what's going on. For us, that's having like our client roundtables. Our client roundtables inefficient. Well, yeah, they're not actually making us money. We, it requires a lot of planning and organization to bring our clients together into the same place. But that's us listening. That's us. And, and that's us fostering this community among our client base. So I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, here's,
1: here's the difference, though, Dave. Yeah. Here's the difference. Your client your client community decides. We don't like the way Dave's is approaching this element, such as the membership committee. We don't like that membership campaign.
0: Uh, yeah. So
1: we're going to go call the president and the executive committee and speak to them, aside from the executive director, and chat with them about that campaign and we don't think it should have so you're now battling that that's where the rub comes is you got people who actually have power over the process who are volunteers good or bad you know but but that's an extra process that a for-profit
0: company doesn't have to deal with on a day-to-day basis so i see this a lot in the association i'm most involved in which the second one is asae but the first one i'm most involved in is called entrepreneurs organization and I do a podcast for EO, and I'm on the board of my local chapter, and like it's run by volunteers. Now, there's a hundred some odd staff, but there's way more volunteers that are inputting their energy and time into making stuff happen. They're not just serving us but we're serving ourselves too and i think maybe you just enlightened me with that mm-hmm. period tom so i i think i get that so your people your members are, are a part of the process not just being served is that fair to say
2: i would say if they're not you're going to have a huge value problem on your
0: hands yeah.
1: well at the end of the day i always tell my staff at the end of the day it's their party At the end of the day, they get to make the choices that benefit them, and we're the executioner and and the planner in the whole process. We do not control anything. Now we we control the
0: execution of the process, but at the end of the day, don't call yourself an executioner. (laughs) Really, you're an implementer. That's what we call it. I like executioner. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I figured you would.
1: I like I like implement, but but that but I think that's that's the difference. You know, for profit, it's your company, Dave. You at the end of the day, you make. The choice, what benefits your company, with the input of your staff and people around you, advisors, the clients, with but the input
0: then, of the clients, like, right? I mean, but, the, the, but yeah, but at
1: the end of the day, you make the call. I could want to make a call all day long. Which there's a there's a there's an element that we're looking at right now that if, I was, if it was up to me, slam dunk, we would do it in a heartbeat. But my my task force committee gets to make the recommendation to the board, and the board may not choose to appropriate the money, even though it could be something that could be massive. Yeah. So that
0: governance that governance yes okay so that makes so much sense to me right now we've got a board prop has got a board and we we meet with our board once a quarter and we tell them what's going on what our revenue is what what challenges we're struggling with do we are we raising more money you know like we, we talk through all these issues and they're there to listen and coach us not to make decisions right in the association world the board is making decisions
1: we're actually and- the,
0: we're we're actually the guidance
1: we're the consultant guidance as the leader that's and the board crazy. is the decision maker it's backwards. why does that non-profit.
0: happen why
1: be- because that's the way it's structured this way it's got to be structured through irs that's, standards is and that
0: governance is that, what, yeah. is that one of the things that falls under this umbrella we should let carrie talk too oh
2: no i'm i think um i wanted uh, what you're describing has been my experience in previous associations. I think ACC's board is actually extremely strategic, and our CEO is masterful mm. at keeping them on a strategic level. But if you think about the origins of associations, it's not like some CEO was like, you know what, we should get all these in house counsel together and start an organization, right? It started organically with value coming from them because there is a need that people identify to come together. I think a great example of this is AWTC, the Association of Women Technology and Champions Group. That yeah, started- Yeah, we're probably involved in that too. Yeah, and it's ballooned into this amazing organization that yeah. is now probably ready for a little bit more structure. But um, you can't, you want their buy-in in these decisions, right? It's their organization ultimately, not mine. I'm here to work for them.
0: And I feel I feel like I, I just went through a whole I feel like this was class here was for me today. So thank you for this. This was this is valuable. Cary, Tom, you gotta wrap Cary, this up. Kerry, this happens often to him. What the, Tom, Tom well, come on, we're brothers here.
1: I know, man. He, Dave's one of the most innovative and smartest people I know. I just, we just like to push back we on could, each other every now and then. Wicked smart, Kerry. But here's another. Here's one last thing to wrap up that particular governance. Some boards, I've, I've done strategic planning with a number of associations. I've, I've been a part of associations. Some boards hold back because they don't have confidence that the CEO can pull it off because they don't feel like the CEO has the business savvy sense. To move all the moving parts especially for a large project
0: but, oh my god don't open that door because now you're talking about just having the right people in the right seats uh, and and it sounds like that would be an example of someone that's not in the right seat look the carry the way we end this and we do have to end this now the way we end this is we we uh we, we tom and i generally will say here's a one key takeaway for us i have so many but one key takeaway and then we'll turn to you Give you a few minutes to think while we're talking, and we'd love to hear like what was one thing in this conversation that that might have been enlightening for you, or maybe it's one thing that you want to emphasize for our listener. So, Tom, you want to start?
1: Sure. So, I guess for me, the big takeaway—I'm always amazed. I mean, we're we're 350 member companies with about 14,000, 16,000 people in our community, you know, in our in our industry and, and organization. And I think we do a really good job, And I'm always amazed when I hear someone talk about their association, 45,000 people, um, and they've been able to drive value and communicate them and have a really good retention rate. So, you know, just hats off, Carrie, to you and your team. Look, well, sounds like you are doing some really good things, and obviously, you're not bored yet. So, you're doing some really cool things, <laughs> and keeping you engaged. Uh, you're 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 part of the channel that's really driving that, and so I just want to compliment you on that. You got to be doing a good job to have those kind of numbers in in, in that industry my big takeaway you. is seeing somebody that's doing something really cool and successful
0: in the marketplace
2: i personally love that takeaway so
0: so carrie if you are um maybe you're just a natural born salesperson because it seems like it's going really well over there like i see why you've been there for this long you have respect for your ceo your respect for your board most of the association people i've talked to in the past over 20 years bitch and moan about their board and oftentimes about their leadership and their organization too because they're so overworked and, and they're, they're, the, the staff is so thin. You've had nothing but great things to say about your team and, and it shows I think in the fact that you've been there longer than any other job you've had and, and you're, you, even, you even described your member base as, as awesome for, for to sum, or, sum it all up into one word but that wasn't my takeaway. My takeaway was, and this is just a very selfish thing. For the first time ever, I had a real education and better understanding of of that concept of agility in associations and why it's different. I actually think there's a lot of similarities between for-profit and nonprofit. I really do, like a lot of similarities. The one that's always stumped me and I, it, and I say I'm a little egocentric when I say this is like, why can't associations be a little more innovative and agile? And I get it. Like, it, it makes sense to me. I do not believe it's because of the whether it's for profit or not. I do believe it's because of the governance and the structure and who runs and makes decisions that that totally makes sense to me. And that was that was a big epiphany for me today. So what about you, Carrie? What's your what's your point?
2: I wanna talk about culture just a little bit based on what you just said. Um, and you, you have to work really hard at it. Like we're, we're like a high functioning team because we're all bought in, right? And so having the right people in the right places I think makes all the difference because if there's one person that's not willing to a- abide by team rules, the whole thing's gonna fall apart, right? And, and I'm really lucky to have a really supportive team and great staff under me. Um, that's very open, honest, vulnerable. We're very transparent with each other. We hold each other accountable and we're in constant communication and you can't manufacture that anywhere. You just got to put in the work to make your team do that.
0: God, I want to work there. How many, how many staff do you have?
2: we about 80 in the U.S., we have five in the APAC region and one in
0: Europe. So 80, some
2: 85,
0: 86. Yeah. Yeah, the the and, and, hiring here right now. And what is the, uh, this is all public information or else, I, I probably wouldn't ask a private organization this. What is the revenue? Is it somewhere around 10, 10 we're million? A, is we're that? a $25 million organization. Or 25, wow. All right. Well, Tom, do you have any last questions before we wrap this up with Carrie? No, it's been a pleasure, Carrie. Appreciate you coming on. It has been. been, This is this has been a really fun conversation, and I say that a lot, and it's oftentimes (laughs) true—not always—but it's oftentimes true, and I, I think I always learn something from our conversations, Tom. So we should keep this thing going. I think so. Thank you, guys.
1: We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about or if you just wanna reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at Tommorson.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com.
0: Give us a review if you haven't already and don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.